Hey guys, it's me, P. And me, S. And you're listening to the Girl on Girl podcast. But it's not what you think. But also, it's kind of what you think. Okay, here's the deal. My name is Persis. I'm queer, Indian, femme, and a little over five feet tall. And my name is Sarah. I'm straight, white, cis, and a proud ginger. Every episode, we're going to talk about sexuality from a queer perspective, from a straight perspective, and what it means to find the fluidity between the two. We're going to talk about taboos, labels, dating, awkward moments, pop culture icons. We're also going to talk safe sex, self-discovery, discrimination, and what it means to be a queer minority. Hey, Percy P. Hey, S. How's it going? It's going great. We are both having like a little bit of the case of the Mondays, but it's a Tuesday. Yeah. It, but you know what? I feel like it makes sense that we had a case of the Mondays because this past weekend was like wild, like out of body experience. Wild. Persis left her body and then came back down to earth and then went back up out of her body. And I feel like you've really come back to earth now, like you hit the ground. And you're just yeah. lying there. <laughs> yeah, it was rough for me, not going to lie. Yesterday was really bad. I was just like, for context, guys, it was Pride Weekend in Toronto. And um, <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, the... are you okay? You're like, yeah, it was just Pride. It was just Pride. And I honestly had the best weekend ever. But I think my body is just like, girl, what were you doing? Like, just, just too much, too much wear and tear. Listen, it happens to the best of us. I feel like it happens every Pride and it's worth it because we did have the best weekend. Yeah, and uh, we really did have a great kickoff to the weekend. Segway. So what you're about to listen to, Girl on Girl pod listeners, is a live recording that Sarah and I did at Adelaide Hall in Toronto with incredible panelists. We had questions, we had games, and it kind of felt like a full circle moment. We had most of these guests on the podcast and it was nice to see them in person and have these like incredible discussions. Yeah, it was really freaking cool. Everything went so well. It was our first live event. So yeah, we were nervous, but somehow it all came together and it's all thanks to honestly like our amazing panelists they were just so good we also had a live performance by brianna musco you'll hear the whole thing because we're playing you the entire event from top to bottom right now we really wanted anyone who couldn't be there in person to experience it with us after the fact and yeah we hope it's as fun in audio format as it was in real life because it was really fun in real life it was really fun. And we want to give a special thanks to the panelists. Um, we had Shannon Burns. We had Umberly Gonzalez. We had James Bailey. We had Kira Graves, Ali Patel, and a performance from Brianna Musco. A very special shout out as well to MRG Live. They are the promotion team that helped us put this entire event on, and they were so incredible. Um, an extra special shout out to our BFF, Kyle, who works for MRG Live. And we actually interviewed him on the pod way, way back at the beginning. So you can go back and listen to our interview with Kyle McCallum. He's basically the reason why this whole event happened. And Purse and I are both just so um, honored and grateful that we were able to create this physical space uh, during Pride Weekend in Toronto, a place that we call home. 
and to see so many beautiful, beautiful queer and not queer faces in the crowd. Um, it was a party. It was a party. And you want to know why it was a party? Because guess who was spinning tunes all night? DJ Jordan Glaze. <laughs> he was just like spinning the throwbacks, the queer anthems before the event, during the event, after the event. Yeah, he was amazing and is also a very good friend of ours. So we really appreciated him coming out and um, dealing with us as we as we got, had some very specific requests in there. Very specific. And he pulled them off and um, we all pulled it off together. It was a team effort and um, we just we can't wait for you guys to hear it. Yes. And we're really hoping for more future events. Um, we had so much fun. I was just telling Sarah, I want to go to Vancouver to do this. We want to yes. go everywhere. So you never know. Maybe you'll catch us on tour one day. That would be amazing. We're stopping all over the world. World tour. And thank you also to LGBT Youth Line for everything that they do. Um, just want to let you guys know that every ticket purchased for this event, a portion of it was um, donated to LGBT Youth Line. And if you want to learn more about LGBT Youth Line, um, they are a peer-to-peer -peer support network for queer Canadian youth. Uh, you can find them on socials. You can find them online. They're amazing. And we're really happy that we got to uh, make a little dent in their donations this Pride Month. I think that's it. I think that's it. Guys, enjoy this episode. We'd love to hear what you think. We wish all of you could be there with us, but um, here's our little gift to you and have fun. And happy Pride! Throughout all of those years, I just learned so much about the queer community 
about sexuality as a whole. Yeah, and then two years ago, guys, I came out as a gay woman. Well, with that, let's kick off the show with a live performance by who is this? 
the lovely, incredible Brianna Musco. So for those of you who don't know, Brianna is a queer singer-songwriter from New Jersey. And Sarah and I actually interviewed her on the pod to talk about the importance of queer representation in music, because y'all, we need it. We need that rep. Yeah, representation matters. And for Brianna, she really puts queer relationships front and center, not only in her music, but also in her music videos. It's super refreshing, and it's something we think we're going to see more of. So we're really honored and excited to invite the one and only Brianna.
eyes We built a fortress in your room Dancing in the dark at noon People start to talk and I'm with you We built a fortress in your room Dancing in the dark at noon People start to talk and I'm with you this is my last chorus, everybody. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do anything or be yourself. That's it. Please help us in welcoming Alan Patel. Patel. 
chance, did your high school have a gay straight alumnus? It did, actually. And it was founded by our next guest. Get out of town! <laughs> no way. Actually, Sarah, what's kind of funny is this next guest of the night did get out of town. Okay. We moved our queer asses out of our high school town into Toronto. Amazing. This person is a YouTube sensation. They have created a massive community where they talk really candidly about sexuality, gender, um, identity, and queer sex. They're also a super successful actor who brings gender-fluid queer realness to our screens. Join us in welcoming Kira Grace. <laughs> I knew, but 
I had experiences and everybody was like, oh, it's just tequila. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, probably in high school, I think my best friend who I have tattooed in my ear, like she knows, and she's the first person who ever knew that they were gonna talk about it, but all my friends in high school, yeah, we were all gay, but we didn't know it. Like literally every single one of us, how did we find each other? Storytellers, we can morph into this. I don't know, there's something so beautiful about seeing someone on screen who 
they are who they are. So when I got past my first clear role, I was shitting my pants because I was like, they're going to think I'm an imposter. I'm not out, but yet I played a bisexual woman who was dating a woman for the first time in the show, and I was like, how did they know? And I was like, this is kind of great because I would play these roles and you know have my girlfriend on screen, and I was like, this is great. Uh, feeling so seen and comfortable, and like the lines that were in the show, it was about like she just owned who she was, you know. Her girlfriend at one, at one point, I was like, Don't you miss it sometimes? She was like, What? I was like, Penis, I don't know. She was like, You're black, like, I didn't know you fucked him before. And like, I'm like, Yeah, get over it, like, you know, I'm just me, like, you're we're dating. And I was like, Why can't I do that? Like, why can't I just be like so confident and come out? And like, the next show, it was just very like, there was no sexuality, you just loved who you loved, and that one allowed me to be out of it more and more comfortable, and I was like, it's pretty wild that I get to portray these characters, and they are real. To me, to the audience, they were like, it's just an actor playing a queer role, but the community that I bought up from it was what allowed me to feel safe. I didn't think that I would get that. It's kind of like, it's kind of like pain for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like manifestation, you're like, I feel these things, and you got the role. And then, you know, it was like moves through that while you embody another person. I needed to go through that. Like, it made me feel safe and seen. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And I wasn't being like shunned. And that was big for me because I too grew up in a very religious, very traditional South American, strict parents, straight A's type of mentality for me to live anything outside of that was terrifying. But through these characters, they were just accepted. And then the audience that I got, the community, the, the messages, like I have people messaging me just being like, because of you in this role, I'm able to come out or I'm able to accept myself or I'm able to talk to my mother about it. We watched it together. She loves it. She gets it. And I was like, God, it is my purpose as an immigrant Latina in this country. It's, I, I never saw that. So I felt like I was kind of starting that here in Canada because there's not a lot of us. Um, so, you know, fast forward to Jimmy and Georgia, but before it came out, I was I legit had a panic attack because I knew, I knew that this was going to be a bit more of like international and people were going to see it and I was like, if I don't know who I am and I can't own that, how can I tell other people to be themselves? I'm being a hypocrite and so I had to kind of come to terms with that and um, I felt kind of similar I don't need to do a post about coming out. Like, I freaked out about it. And I was like, do I need to do that? My partner was like, you don't have to do that. You, have, you get to just live your life, and you don't have to explain yourself to anybody. And then I did your podcast, and then I was like, I'm feeling myself. This feels inspiring, safe spaces. And I just said it, and it was very like that initial thing, confident, whatever. Yeah, this is who I am. That's kind of cool. And then people heard it, and some people were like, Yep, we knew this already. <laughs> and some people were like, oh shit, that's cool. But it's been a journey since, and I'm just really happy that my career and my life have just been very aligned, and it kind of saved me. What alignment. Yeah. That's beautiful. Keep it Thank you. Shannon, <laughs> over to you. I think I already mentioned a few times. You grew up in a very religious environment. I know. <laughs> And that's not easy for baby gay, of course. So when you realized you were here, 
how did you kind of overcome or navigate religious bias to, first of all, honor your sexuality, but then also today to still have a connection to your faith? Yeah, so when I first realized that I was gay, I was spending a lot of time on Tumblr, um, which was the place to be back in the day. I, I joined and I was like, oh, there's, yeah, there's a lot of lesbians, cool. And then like a month later, I was like, I'm a lesbian. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so that was, it was definitely a realization because I grew up in a community that it was just, you were taught that it was okay to be born gay and that they understood that, but if you acted on that, that's the sin. So my family always said, they're like, well, you can be gay, but you just have to be by yourself. You just, you can't have a partner, you can't act on it because that's how you go to hell. So I felt that way for a long time, so I, I realized that I was gay, and I was like, okay, well, I'll just like live with this. This will just be a struggle that I have to overcome, and I'll just figure it out and be by myself. But then I realized pretty quickly, like, I don't want to do that. Like, <laughs> that sounds like a really boring life. Um, and then I realized, too, with my religion, I was trying to stay in the church that I grew up in and that I was born in. But they had so many rules, and all the rules were things that weren't allowing me to be myself. So I realized that if I do want to live my life and I want to live authentically and, and be happy, I'm going to have to go against the church, which was really difficult for me because that's all I ever knew. And the only people that I knew. So I, I grew up in like going to church twice every Sunday, going to a Christian school, um, never bought anything on a Sunday until I was like over 18, like very, yeah, just insane. So um, then I, so it was all I ever knew. So then I decided, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to have to, yeah, like go against my family. So I lied for a long time. I was living a double life for a couple years. And then finally, it just reached a point where I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. So I kind of left the church, got out, um, kind of got kicked out a little bit, but then got kicked out of like my friend's wedding party. I made a honor when she found out. Like my best friend in high school, like so much. Pretty much lost everyone in my life. But I just, I moved across the country, got into radio, and I ended up finding people that loved me for me, which is wild. But that's where your chosen family comes in. So um, once I moved out there and just kind of hid from everyone that I knew, I was still in the closet for a couple of years, but then finally got the courage to come out online and start talking about being gay on the radio and being myself. So it's definitely a journey, and it doesn't happen overnight, but I was able to come to terms with it, and I'm still a Christian, and I'm still gay, so, but I'm very, very happy. To that point, Yes. One, I also went to a Christian private school. Yes, I also was very involved in church. Sis, praise and worship. I was the voice. Okay. But yes, your sexuality and your spirituality do not have to be separate. And I love that. Yeah, you can still be both. Yeah. Thank you. Between both of your stories and what you said to James, is like finding the safe space. It's like, you already knew it was in you, but it's like the safe space is what can allow you to really like live into that and like come back to the church and come back to your nationality. And too, like my church wouldn't accept me back, but you can find others and you can like, yeah. you just have to find the people that best find you. So, yeah. oh. Love you guys. <laughs> so loved. So loved. <laughs> So we want to shift the conversation a little bit here to talk about gender. We have two gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous gender fluid humans on the panel today. We do. Allie, let's start with you. When did you first discover you were gender fluid? And did you have like an aha moment? Yeah, so 
non binary spaces look like. And this was like in 2015, 2016 ish. And they were really white and really like androgynous presenting people. And so I know that I like to present very feminine very often. And so I felt like an imposter. I was like, you know, I feel non-binary. I want to be in these spaces, but I feel like I'm taking up space where I don't belong just because I don't look like that. And you know, like great for people that like do want to you know, present in those ways, but it just kind of, I don't know, for me, I was like, I don't want to make them uncomfortable and maybe I'm not actually non-binary. And so, in uh, later on, a couple of years later, I was in my master's doing some research on queer South Asian women, and I was interviewing somebody from uh, the Alliance South Asian, like the ASAP Alliance of South Asian AIDS Prevention Organization. Um, and the person I was interviewing there was a non-binary South Asian individual, and just I was in awe. That was the first gender non-conforming South Asian person I met. And I was like, whoa. You're not binary. <laughs> Whoa. And so I was like, wow, like, not everybody needs to be white to be gender non-conforming. Like, and this person, they looked very South Asian. And I, I was like, oh my god, this is incredible. And so that's kind of how I started accepting like, okay, I'm somewhere on the gender non-conforming spectrum. I know I'm not a woman. It's always pissed me off when people treat me like a woman um, and expect me to do woman things. And so I learned a little bit more. I, learned, I saw that I think that it was somebody who was on Pride Toronto, like Pride Toronto board of directors or something like that. Uh, I was just creeping all of them, and they identified they a woman of color or a person of color who identifies as gender fluid woman. And I was like, whoa, new gender identity! Like that, I think was my biggest aha moment, where I was like, okay, you know what? This actually resonates the most. And sort of, I guess, over time, the the woman part that came out for me and it was just gender fluid, and then I guess. The, but that was really coupled with me learning more about Hinduism and pre-colonial Hinduism specifically and seeing how in pre-colonial South Asia and pre-colonial Hinduism, gender fluidity was really strongly embedded um, and seeing in our gods and goddesses. And so that's also another way where we, that, that was like the, the like cherry on top of my aha moment where I really felt validated in my gender fluidity and that like this could be me. And, and so after that, it was just, I started saying it and it just started feeling very natural and it was, it, yeah, that was my, that was my aha moment and my acceptance.
last year. I had like a bob for a while. That was like my in-between phase. I was like, I'm too scared to go like full pixie. Yeah. It just slowly went from like here to here to here. And I got less and less religious as the hair got shorter. Um, but anyways, yeah, I had, you know, family members. I had agents that were like, you know, I mentioned to them, I have always wanted to cut my hair to a pixie. Like I see myself. Like, I can see, like, the image of how I want to look like, and I don't look like that right now, and I also feel like it doesn't match my inner self. Anyways, I had a lot of people telling me, like, no, 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 no. So I was like, okay, okay, like, I want to be an actor, so, like, I'm just going to listen to you, and, like, if this is the only way to be, then, all right, sure, whatever. Um, I also had, like, family members that were like, don't talk about queerness on the internet, like, even like a family member in particular was like, look what happened when Ellen DeGeneres came out, like her career, um, you know, as an actor. <laughs> Literally, no. He, he was like, yeah, as an actor, it plummeted, but I guess as like a public figure, it went up. But anyways, um, yeah, I guess people had good intentions, but they had fear blocking the way, and they were projecting that fear onto me. And, you know, I got scared and, like, retreated into my little hole. Um, but, yeah, at one point I was like, I feel like it was probably last year, also when I discovered my gender identity, I was like, you know, I can't be living my life for other people. And, like, the shit, like, the limitations people place on you, they do not, like, they're fake. They come from their own fearful mindsets, and, like, that does not need to be placed on you. So I realized, you know what, I'm just going to let them have their, like, well-intentioned opinion and have my own opinion and cut my freaking hair off. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, anyways, you know what, I was just talking to Umberly about how, like, you know, agents were like, if you cut your hair, you're not going to get, you know, book roles. And then, and then, literally, once I started embracing, like, my true self and how I wanted to present myself, I started booking like crazy because I guess, I don't know, like my authenticity showed through and you were aligned. It's you. Yes, that's why I know. Not. And you know what? Life, <laughs> life just gets better and like so many doors open when you're just able to fucking be yourself. Like, God damn it. <laughs> more non-binary and gender fluid um, characters coming out and they're actually wanting to cast actors that are non-binary, gender fluid, queer, bisexual, lesbian, like, and I appreciate that so much because, um, you know, it gives us the opportunity to, to shine and, like, be authentic in these, in these roles and, like, be the person on screen that, like, people watching you know, they, they resonate with that person. They see themselves in that person. Um, so anyways, yeah, long story short, I don't know where I was going with that, but um, film industry, queer, it's getting better, slowly. Representation in this room right now. We do. In the audience, too. 
Yeah? We see you. James, let's start with you. <laughs> so in the music industry, there still isn't a lot of queer black male representation. Um, we do have Frank Ocean, he's a trailblazer, followed by artists like Kevin Abstract and Lil Nas X. Why do you think that is? And what impact do you hope your music and artistry makes on the industry? Well, Indeed. the first half of our question says, love. The industry is afraid of us, to be totally honest. Because um, we're out here, you know, but it very much is, um, I guess, similar to, to your point with acting. It's like people only know what they know. And especially in the music industry, they only know the success of what has already succeeded, right? And taking a chance or allowing doors to open for, for queer, black, male artists, because there's a lot of stigma around that title, queer, black, male, and acceptance, right? They, they don't want anything to do with it. There's so many black, queer men in the industry that one, aren't getting a chance, or two, are cosplaying straightness in order to continue to be in the industry or in order to succeed in the industry. For example, Billy Porter, actor and musician, but could only act and be straight in order to be accepted, right? And it's only recently for him at his age, as he's been able to fully embrace himself and, and actually succeed in the industry because there has been, you know, more of a push for, 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 for gayness, for queerness, for transness in entertainment, in music. And, you know, even to the point of Little Nas X, it's like, there's only one. Why is there only one? Why can't there only be one? You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I just really feel like, you know, the industries are changing, but the old heads are still holding the keys to the doors. So a lot of us are having to take, take our own reins and, 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 and our own sledgehammers and knock the doors down. You know what I mean? But when it comes to, you know, investment and, um, you know, that monetary support, it's only given to those few that have been accepted and really seen as straight, but that have eventually come out as queer. You know? And Frank Ocean, love him, love him down. But yeah, there are so many other black queer men in the music industry, whether it's secular music or even religious music that still can't get a chance, or once they come out as queer, have been banished, have been silenced, right? So, yeah, the industry is still afraid. And the thing is that the industry only knows as much as they know. So they think that the audiences that they have been you know, drawing and selling to for all these years are not ready. These are queer people. Are ready. They've been ready. I was ready. Like, <laughs> 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 I 
it is a big feat to be like, I I want to be that 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 person. I want to be that that in that change. You know, but I think like showing up in your authenticity, you know, it's been a journey since coming from the church, you know. Amen. You know, standing up on the pulpit, do the praise and worship thing, like glory to God, because you know, growing up, music was spirit, and if you had that talent, you were using it for the grace of God to help teach other people to come closer to Him, right? But then you would sit in the pulpit and hear the pastor talking about banishment and the gays and you know. Satellites and all these things, and you're just like, what? Amazing. You know, and God loves all. You can be allowed to be born like that. You just can't live. You can't live in your truth, right? You cannot live in your truth. You must, you must suffer through it. Suffer through it. So then when you die, you can go to heaven. Right? been making music, you know, you know, writing things down ever since I was, you know, that little 10-year-old singing, you know, Silent Night through the Christmas concerts and just, you know, hoping that, you know, I was going to see someone on TV, in the magazines that I could connect with, that I could see as representation, and I never really thought that. I never really thought that. You know, and in a in a weird way, like when you saw queer people coming out in music and in, in actors and you know, Elvis generous, it was very much a white thing. You know, so then it was just like, okay, so I guess I guess the, the silence is my my burden to bear. You know, and as I've really become more and more serious about my craft um, and living in my truth, you know, even also connecting with, uh, you know, queer, like, faith-based organizations, like, like, in the city, Sunset Service, and, you know, different organizations, like the Black Coalition for AIDS Prevention, and, and meeting those people, and them telling me, like, you have the power in you to, to be your full self, you can be your authentic self, be you, you have this gift, you have this thing to share with other queer black people like yourself. You don't have to keep looking for that person to attach to you. You are that person. So it's, I feel like to try to answer the last, the last part of the question, you know, it's like, what change does your music is going to do to the industry? It's like, sis, like, the industry in time will change. I believe that, but I also believe that myself and, and other artists that are finally, that are also coming up and coming out, like, you know, I don't know if some of these people, but Serve With Feet, look up his music, amazing artist, speaks about sexuality, about gayness, his love and relationship with men, and merges that with gospel. It is so powerful. And then you have other artists like Moses Sumney, 
talking about his queerness, talking about polyamory, talking about many different relationship structures in his relationships with women and his relationships with men, also blends that with gospel. Powerful stuff. And I have also been doing that in my own music. And it's beautiful being approached like in the street, in the ballroom scene. I'm also part of the ballroom scene, by the way. If y'all know what that is. They call me Songbird Serrano. Songbird Moonbird. But yeah, like in those spaces, in those communities that I that I identify, that I am in, people coming up to me and being like, oh my God, your music resonates with me. This song is my favorite. This song is my favorite for these reasons. I have a song called Banishment. You know, talking about taking ownership of your life and of your journey, and even though the experiences are so new and so scary to some degree, they're also so beautiful. People identify with, with those lyrics and with those words, and I'm just like, see, I might also be nervous to hold this 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 power or this place as. Now realizing it's like I, I am to some people the representation that they had been wanting to see, at least in their close communities. It's also so amazing and so empowering for me to continue to do what I have been called my purpose. I think you spoke about you said purpose as well. It's my purpose. It's a part of my purpose. Being me is my purpose. Being my authentic self in what I've chosen to do in life is my purpose. This is how change happens. <laughs> 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 point, we can talk about representation and how important it is, but that really only is half of the puzzle. When we're talking about industries like entertainment, it is about investment, it is about finances, it is about who's at the top. Right. And you're right, knowing your purpose and stepping into who you are, that's what's going to impact change. That's how these industries are going to change. And where people are going to invest in roles for non for non-binary gender fluid people. Listen, look me up, stream the music. Yes, when people see that people are listening to the music and knowing what it's about, they will be like, huh. Well maybe we should book it then. So before we move on, would you mind just singing us one line of something? Like just one, anything you want, just like a little taste, a little tidbit. Not to put you on the spot, but putting you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot, I didn't tell them. Yeah. Okay. Very well. Bye. 
the other side of the Asian identity 
uh, for example, when I've attended wearing a space of wearing like a bindi or a sari, it's unless I do something to counteract that of you know openly running around and like, by the way, I'm gay. Did I tell you? Or showing up with my more masculine presenting partner in those spaces and like grabbing her by the arm and like, stay with me. Make sure we look like a couple. <laughs> I'm not red as queer. And that's, it's a very heartbreaking experience that so many South Asian folks face. And you know, when you're single and invalidated for your queerness, being in those spaces is a really distressing time because just even taking, for example, some of the things I've experienced, my, one of my first few times with queer guy in Cruz and Tangos, I had a like, white, very bush presenting woman just look at me, single me out and yell, straight girls like you belong in your straight bars. And I was like, you're lucky I'm here with my fake ID and I can't start a fight right now. <laughs> and you know, those experiences are things that kind of never really stopped for a couple of years. Even drag queens on stage, they would single me out and be like, are you straight? And I'm like, are you rude? <laughs> I'm obviously so gay. Look at my claws. I'm a bottom. <laughs> I've even personally heard or gotten messages from people saying, hey, it is so nice to see 
person because like I can feel accepted in myself now. Whether like for whatever reason that is, and it's you know generally that like oh well, I'm like I'm not a white person. Actor. 
he's in Dynasty, Rafael de la Torres, you might know him, but he reached out to me and he was like, in Spanish, of course, but like, I see you, this is wild, we're out, like, there's not, not a lot of us out here, but like, you're the example. Like, you just show people that like, you can still be of that culture and unlearn a lot of the things that were taught to us and you can still live authentically and be happy and exist. And like, truly, I mean, when Ariana DeVos like won her Oscar, I was bawling because that was the first time a queer Latina won an award to that stature where I, I've been told that like, you'll never get to that. And it's like, fuck that, like, of course we can. I mean, I didn't have any examples growing up, but like, Unfortunately, like Latinx culture is it is very religious, but it's like hateful, and it's so weird to me because South American people are so lovely and charming and welcoming, and they're all about love. And like, I know it's not everybody, but I honestly like I don't have my family here, so I'm in a very unique spot where I could just live my life without the shame, without the violence, which I'm sure I would have been met with. I wasn't about to tell my grandmother anything. Like I, I felt like I could do it in a safe way just because they're not here. Um, I could just exist and do my interviews and be here in this podcast. And like maybe they'll hear it, maybe they won't. Maybe they'll talk to me, maybe they won't. But at least my parents haven't um, shut me out. I think honestly, what I did and it's like the way I live now is if you leave from love. And you share something that's very, very vulnerable to you, to somebody that is supposed to love you and does love you, it's a lot easier than um, kind of showing up in a bit of a defensive and ready to fight mode. I think conversations can be had when you sit down with your mom or your dad, which I did, and it's like, hey, I have to tell you something that might not feel good at first, but I want you to know that I'm still me and I still love you, and this is who I am, and the only reason I feel that way is because I love people, and I don't think there's anything you know, my dad to this day, he'll be like, you know, I listen to all your interviews, like, never heard the word queer before, but like, here we are. And it's like, it's really lovely to see that. I don't know if within my family people talk or not, but I know they've seen my show, and I know it's dubbed in Spanish, so I know that they know what's happening. Uh, I got like one call from my very religious aunt, who like, kind of was trying to tell me that I shouldn't live with someone I'm not married to, or like, my choices and things like that. And all I told her was, I love you, and we can have different opinions, and I accept you for that. I hope we can do the same. Like, I just kill them with kindness. I think, honestly, like, the only way to kill hate is with love, and just be like, I'm not gonna change to make you comfortable in our culture. Like, we just need more representation, and like, me coming out was really, really scary, but I ultimately decided it was bigger than myself. Because there's not a lot of Venezuelan immigrant Latin-like actors out there, but I have to do it for those people, those kids. Like my young me, who was so confused and so like she hated herself. I like, had horrible, toxic relationships my entire life until I accepted who I was, and then we just hold each other's hands, and it's community, it's chosen family, it's friends, it's spaces like these. I mean, I've never. This is my first pride being
oh, it's frustrating, but I'm, uh, I'm just leading by example. And I think that's the way to cure it. You lead it by example, you put your doubts and insecurities away and say it's bigger than me, that's my purpose. Absolutely shocked. Okay, 
playlist. Okay, audience, if we think I'm really has, cheer.
question is, never have I ever. Are you my pal? Yeah, you can. Your question is, never have I ever hosted a national televised spelling bee, brought my ex with me to the spelling bee, and then canoodled with her in the bathroom in between filming. <laughs> Needing to balance, needing to make that decision. 
ultimately I chose I chose community. For me, I'm somebody who's always done community organizing, done research to enhance the life of my community. So for me, it was like I'm not choosing anything for me, like me in the sense. I'm sort of like I'm doing this because I feel like at this point my only reason to live is to do work for the queer South Asian women's community and enhance whatever I can. You know, enhance the visibility, your sense of belongingness, that sort of thing. And a little bit of it also choosing my mental health. And so when I was choosing community, it was sort of like, I'm going to try my best to balance family and doing this. I sort of was like, I can be like Hannah Montana and live this double life, right? Like my family won't find out if I identify as Ali, but my family said I'm so Ali, like this good Indian girl. <laughs> but, you know, obviously that, it didn't end up going as planned. Um, and so, yeah, I think mean, that balance is sort of an ongoing thing. I don't think it's a journey that I'll ever stop navigating. But it is very much one where I refuse to accept the toxicity of our collectivist culture, but I refuse to embrace the individualistic aspects because at the end of the day, me picking, me choosing community and choosing to work towards enhancing the well-being of my community is the most collectivist thing that I can do in a way that feels authentic to my my upbringing. Because at the end of the day, you know, our South Asian culture teaches us to think about our cult, our, our family, right? For me, my family is my queer South Asian community. Love growing. We love growing and learning and evolving. That's why we're here. And 
anyone else? To go off what you were saying, like it is online is such a great place to build a community, and I think that's where a lot of us turned to during the pandemic. But we didn't. We had that loss of connection in person, so we like went online. I spent a lot too much time on TikTok. Um, but then you see that space created, and there's so many people like you know during the pandemic too. I think it like helps people realize a lot of things. Um, but yeah, so like I built like a following on TikTok that's full of queer people, and Persis was there last week. But I hosted this like pride picnic in Christie Pets. There's like over a thousand people that showed up just from like people that I've met online through the pandemic and I've heard from friends and friends. So it's so nice to to have that connection. And I think that's something that's just built so much more through the pandemic. So it's been so great. I have a bit of a follow up question to that question. For anyone who's feeling pressure to come out, what would you say to them? You don't and have to explain yourself. pressure, you know, like, you feel like, oh, should I come out now because this, this, this. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to say, don't, don't. Don't force yourself. Right. Yeah, I, oh, I just wish I could, like, speak to those people, do you know what I mean? Because, um, yeah, like, I've definitely, Like, yeah, to come out when you feel, or even just when you're coming out, just like go through that journey. Internal acceptance. Yeah. And I also think, like, fuck labels. Like, if you do yeah. not feel like any label suits you, just like, you don't need it. But I know, like, I get it because, you know, on TikTok and on everywhere, it's like, you, you know, everyone has their little category and their little box and like there's labels good in our little box. Um, but we go like not everyone feels good in a label and I have, you know, chosen so many different labels and had to come out as different labels because I'm like, wait, actually, no, that's not right. This suits me more. Actually, no, another one suits me more. So it's like, yeah, you don't have to put a label on it either. Like, and I really think um, uh, the just like the concept of a chosen family as well. Like we, we've all, we all have on our journey to, you know, self-discovery, self-realization, um, self-acceptance, have found those people in, in on, our, on our way there that we connect with and that like validate us and, and, you know, affirm us. And I feel for people who have that internal struggles, like there's someone else that's also kind of going through that and as you connect and as you, I guess, move through life together, friends or more than friends, you know, you'll, you'll realize that, like, you don't have to come out, you know, it doesn't have to be that grand performance of, you know, thing. Yeah, and to also, like, add on to that a little bit, with the pressure coming out, something I really like to tell folks, you know, you don't need to come out and even invite folks into your space, right? Like, on that. Oh, amen. amen.
fun together. Yes, we want to thank the entire team once again at MRG Live. They have been incredible. This event literally would not be happening without them. It's Kyle, it's Matt, it's Alex. We love you guys. Thank you so much. And also, thank you to Adelaide Hall for hosting us. And Kevin Hart's themed cocktail, guys. Strawberry Daiquiri. Daiquiri, sorry. Daiquiri. Are we mixologists? Like, who are we? Basically, are. So um, go and try that when this is all over, please. And then Jordan, our DJ, we have to say a big thank you to him. He was spinning while you guys were coming in, and he's going to continue spinning because after this, we're going to stick around and we're going to drink and we're going to dance, and Jordan's going to be spinning for us. We're so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. And a special thank you to Brianna Musco for coming all the way from New York. Gorgeous, gorgeous voice. Brianna, you were incredible. Thank you, Brianna. And of course, our unbelievable panel of guests. You guys are seriously amazing. They all volunteered their time to be a part of this. Like, this is just to be a part of the conversation and to create this space with us. And we couldn't be more grateful. And we're honestly so inspired by you guys all the time. Yeah. 
And if you want to follow along, you can find us at Girl Let's Girl Podcast on Instagram and on TikTok. And if you ever have a topic that you want us to cover or a guest that you really want us to um, interview on the pod, our DMs are always open. So please reach out anytime. We would love to. Thank you again.